ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion, pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. So I'm on with uh, Joel Rather and Jason Hirsch. Um, what's up, boys? Been a, been a little while. We were shooting the shooting the breeze here for a minute, but these gents are with uh, Hunt Hike Harvest, and we met at the uh, Western Hunt Fest this year, the the first annual Western Hunt Fest. And uh, yeah. I was pretty I was pretty intrigued to see what you guys got going on. And and you know we've been talking about when was that Hunt Fest? Was that in August? Yeah, that was in August, huh? Yeah, it was August. Yeah, like, like two two weeks before season. <laughs> yeah, so it was a dream day. Yeah, so it was. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but not so much. You know, I want to get on with you guys, and I think this is kind of perfect timing for that. Right, uh, we had talked about maybe doing it right after that, but season was right there. Um, and in you know my opinion, that wasn't that wasn't prep time. That was you better be ready time. So I think this is about perfect timing in terms of yeah. you know. Season prep for next September starts now. Um, so, yeah, we'll just get into it. Why don't you guys give us a little bit of intro? Um, you know, I'll let you guys, whoever the lady is, go first. Um, I'll let you guys fight about it. <laughs> I've been known to miss the podcast to have my knives sharpened at home. <laughs> uh, I totally uh, Jason Hirsch, um, co-founder of One High Harvest. I... Uh, my background is I was a professional baseball player for 10 years. I was drafted by the Houston Astros in uh, 2003. I um, traded to the Colorado Rockies in 2006. Uh, played on the World Series team in 2007. Um, eventually, I uh, got traded to the Yankees and blew out my shoulder. And um, I started giving pitching lessons um, at a local batting cage. And just up the road from where I was training, this guy was stationed. I was actually working out in his gym with my strength coach and we hit it off and became buddies. And, um, I kind of got into hunting through another friend of ours who was on our podcast, uh, earlier or uh, last week, yeah. um, Chris Watts, who runs a Western heritage, uh, hunt club. And I, that was rifle hunting. And these guys, 
every time we'd be in the gym, Joe would be talking about how awesome archery camp was. Oh, you know, hunt camping, bow hunting, and this, that, and the other. And I was like, all right, I've had enough of this. If I buy a bow, can I come to camp with you? And that was the downhill slide from there. So I went out and bought a bow, and I guess the last, what, five, six years that uh, we've hunted together um, in various parts of Colorado. And I just fell in love with it. Like the, the, the first time I went out with them, I heard a, bu- a bull bugle from what well, it couldn't have been 40 or 50 yards away. And the reverberation in my chest and, um, and the adrenaline that was flowing, I was like, dude, this is way better than sitting with a rifle looking from hundreds of yards away at an animal. So I wanted to do that. And so the closer I can get, the better. And uh, that's how I got into hunting. And then eventually we decided to, to take kind of what Joel's passion is in, in strength and conditioning and um, combine that into a, into a space in the outdoor world where we felt like there was not anybody was really doing a, a science-based um, hunt prep program. And um, we joined together. And now we have a facility here, which is where we're sitting right now in Denver, um, that we do, uh, we train our, our sports clients and, and as well as our outdoor clients. Yeah. So I'll pass it over to you. Um, well, I did not play in a world series. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've watched a few, um, but, uh, I did play baseball and, uh, grew up kind of more in a, uh, you know, a, a farming community. I grew up in, in Western Nebraska and got introduced to hunting at an early age. And that kind of, you know, a lot of waterfowl, a lot of upland birds and things like that. Obviously, a lot of friends and things that that deer hunted as I was younger. And my dad wasn't necessarily as much into that. And then one of my best friends, uh, you know, kind of similar, you know, talking about elk camp and his dad used to run an outfitting and and kind of a resort on the the south gate of Yellowstone and they would elk hunt all the time. And and I got my first invite to go rifle hunting, which was my first elk hunting experience and went up there and kind of same thing, you know, just kind of fell in love with it. And and that progressed to, you know, wanting to shoot a bow more and, and get out during September and, and, I've been a strength conditioning coach, um, as you know, that's been my profession for over 20 years now. Um, I was a college strength coach. I've worked with, you know, everything from, you know, all pros to, um, you know, doing combine prep for NFL guys and, and those types of things. And, and, um, as Jason said, as our companies kind of merged and we are in our facility now, it was one of those things where I had a realization where as, I was getting ready for September every year. I was using what I do for my profession to help me physically get ready every year to go up and and hunt. And so as I kind of looked at that, I thought, you know, there's, there's no reason I shouldn't be using what I do for a living and sharing that back to people and providing them with better knowledge and, and ways with which, you know, I can help or be a resource to people. And, and as Jason said, you know, the more him and I kind of began to collaborate and combine our businesses and everything else, it just became kind of a natural thing to where, um, you know, we're a little over three years into, you know, kind of this venture. And, and, you know, I kind of call it a passion project, but I think that what we can provide and what we're trying to do is is give people a little bit better know-how and resource behind, you know, what what should I be doing to get ready for hunting season? And, you know, there is a method to the madness and believe it or not, you know, I study research and things like that, that help me determine like, how do I actually do the things or or put together programs for folks so that, you know, we can better help them than just saying, yeah, this is something I want to go do. And so, um, so that's kind of where, you know, this whole venture started. And um, it's been a lot of fun for us outside of, 
you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis. And, and we just kind of enjoy being able to try and continue growing and sharing what we do. So. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, for lack of a better word, and maybe it was that, it, that impressed me is that PT and I don't care who you are, where you're at, what you're doing. None of it, none of it. Well, let me rephrase that. It can be very cookie, cookie cutter, but it shouldn't be cookie cutter, right? Based on your your personal makeup, right? Your physiology, your current condition, you know, things like that. And when I met you guys, I was still nursing a back injury um, that pretty much took me off of anything I could do for season prep. And I went into season shit. I went into hunt fest going, I don't think I could do this pack out challenge one. Cause I wasn't physically ready for it Two, I put on some pounds dealing with this back injury and I didn't want to injure myself further from, you know, right that, you know, two weeks before season and Jason and I were talking and he's like, well, you know, these, these are things that we deal with, right. That mm-hmm. back injury, that knee injury, um, whatever that, you know, maybe that physical ailment is and, and slicing it, um, if we're going to talk in cookie cutter terms for the individual. So if you guys could kind of go down that road a little bit, and then I want to talk about the comment of science-based training and, and see how that differs from, you know, maybe other things that are available and kind of the, you know, AMRAP stuff, um, that, that's so popular and just hitting trails and running. Yeah. So, you know, I, I always say that something is better than nothing, you know, I never, I never want to like, you know, rain on anyone's parade for people that like to get out and, you know, whether it's just, I want to try and challenge myself or do hard stuff or or whatever, you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, the term AMRAP, you know, as many reps as possible, that type of thing. And that's all well and good, but at the same time, there's also a lot that goes behind how you can actually progress someone to get there. You know, I think the other part of it is that, you know, take like yourself, for example, you know, if you put yourself in that type of environment where it's just, you know, see how hard I can kind of pound myself into the ground every day, going and work out, you're going to get one of two things. You're either going to hate to go work out, which, you know, a lot of people aren't, aren't big fans of, um, you know, where it's not necessarily high on their priority list. You're going to either get hurt or not get better if you already have ailments, right? Um, and that's something where, you know, as you get into hunting season, it's not going to afford you a better experience. You know, I think a lot of what we do is we talk about if I can just improve someone's experience, you know, we're not talking about filling tags or anything like that, but your ability to go out for most people, which is, you know, typically a week long and say, well, if you can hike more consistently, if you can cover a little bit more miles, if you're in better condition, uh, you know, physically, as far as strength and, and what your actual metabolic conditioning looks like, then the odds are that your overall experience for the course of the week is going to be much improved. Right. And so, you know, when we look at those things, it's like, that's kind of the starting point for me is to try and determine, you know, where are you at today? Um, what are you going to do? What style of hunt are you going to, you know, kind of be embarking upon, right? Is it going to be something where you're divvying in and, you know, you're carrying everything on your back and then there's, you know, there's a a factor of that, which is how much weight are you talking about that? And then ultimately, um, how do you approach the way that you hunt, you know, the style of hunting, are you base camp hunting? Are you progressing, um, and constantly moving and all of those things become, you know, kind of how you start to put the pieces of the puzzle together to try and create a better 
program for someone that's going to afford them to have a better experience when they get out in the woods. Because, you know, if you go out and you're only capable of hiking a couple miles a day and you're just gassed, then day two is going to be harder and day three is going to be harder and day four and so on and so on. It's just going to keep continuing to accumulate to where, you know, ultimately you may still enjoy the experience, but maybe you're, uh, you know, after you do that one or two times, you start to get to where your expectation to either find success or cover more ground or be capable of, of, you know, getting out and, and, you know, reaching further is going to go down unless you start kind of taking some of those factors into place. So that's kind of how I like to start with a lot of it. Yeah. I think the other part too, like you had mentioned, you had a bad back. And I think a lot of times um, when we talk about preparation and we go to the weight room and stuff like that, if you've got a bad back, you're like, well, automatically I, I just can't go to the gym. There's nothing I can do. Right. And I think there's a lot of things that you can do that ancillary to, you know, a certain issue in your body. For example, you know, early, really early this year, um, I had a knee issue where I had a Baker cyst uh, in the back of my right knee and um, I wanted to get it drained. So I got it drained out. And during that process, I found out that I don't have an ACL. I'm bone on bone arthritic. I've got a torn meniscus and I had the cyst. And so learning about all of that stuff for me, it was like, well, clearly the pounding on my knees is not going to persist, right? I, I can't continue doing certain things. So this year, I spent a lot of time riding the bike. Um, we have a bike here in our facility called the Watt Bike. And um, our other business partner, JC, uh, basically said, you know, ride the bike a couple of days a week to you know, reduce the pounding on your on your lower half. And this year, we went out um, to, to hunt the, the unit that we typically hunt in. And there's always this gradual incline. We always drop down about, you know, eight 900 feet. And then there's a, a gradual incline climbing back to camp. And usually you know, at various times along that hike, I'm sucking wind. We've got to stop and kind of catch my breath. And this year, I just put my head down and I marched. And and these guys were even like, dude, slow down. And I'm like, dude, I don't feel anything. Like, my legs feel great. My, my, you know, my knees feel awesome. My conditioning was great. And I realized that it was probably because I took the time to condition myself and I took the pounding off my legs, even though they were getting stronger, Right. I wasn't doing traditional weightlifting type stuff where, you know, I'd be doing deadlifts or squats or lunges or something like that to help condition my, my lower half. So, you know, when you talk about that cookie cutter approach, you know, I think a lot of people, especially if they're novices or inexperienced in the weight room, is they kind of fall back on whatever their prior knowledge might be. Right. Whether that was from you know high school football days or, you know, something they saw on Instagram or YouTube or, you know, some weight loss television show that they were that they were enthralled with they they revert to those things and they think those are the only things that i can do but realistically it, it's an open book when it comes to the weight room so you know having experience and, and knowledge with professionals who know how to work around those limitations to continue to strengthen you, you know, your back was bad so why not work on strengthening my shoulders or let's work on strengthening my my ankles or my my knees or something like that where we can do exercises that are ancillary to you know your your condition but still allow you to physically get stronger right like if you could draw five or ten more pounds in your bow what would that mean for you as a hunter right so just because something doesn't work doesn't mean that we can't address other needs until that injury or whatever that deficit is, is fixed. So, and thank you for that. 
one of the biggest things that I see with any type of conditioning or getting ready for season, right. Is that dopamine cycle we'll call it right. Is, is that's fueled off of anticipation of an end result. Now we're talking about preparing for season. Well, that's 11 months away. Right. And a lot of guys will go strong for two or three months. Then they'll fall off for three or four months. And then, uh Oh, it's, Oh crap. It's August. <laughs> right. I need to get my gun in gear. Yeah. Right. I'm strong. And, and, and to me, that's, you know, there, there's, you gotta, you have to deal with the delayed gratification in getting stronger for season. But I think that the biggest challenge is that dopamine cycle, right? Where that anticipation leads us. It's not necessarily like, Oh, I hit it. And then boom, it explodes, right? That anticipation of seeing a goal. How do you guys deal with that and the mental aspects of getting through a regimen and do you set, you know, maybe many milestones or goals along the way? And how does that look? Yeah. That, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I think that the, the one thing, and there's, there's a couple of things that popped in my head as you kind of said that number one is that, you know, consistency is key to building like strength over time. And, you know, it's realistically, when you talk about the differences between say getting stronger and physically, you know, being able to either, you know, hike further and, and hike harder and that type of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is a little bit more longitudinal, which is where kind of like you were saying, you know, having this, you know, kind of peaks and valleys approach, you typically isn't going to show you, you know, progress over long term. And the other, the flip side of that is that, you know, most people have jobs, they've got, uh, you know, family, they've got all sorts of stuff that typically garners their attention, you know, day to day, week to week, whatever, um, kids and, you know, chasing them around to practices or whatever that those types of things may be. And I usually tell people that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be your best every day, you just have to give your best. And I think that, you know, at times, it's, getting through some of those things. And I think there's some parallels and I'm sure you can probably assimilate with this where, you know, there's a lot of times when you get out, even, you know, when you're on hunts, even though you're as, as, you know, as excited as you can be about being out there and whatever else, where you're constantly like in this like mind game and mental kind of, uh, you know, kind of mindset where, you're like, oh man, like we got, we got to get over that next ridge. And uh, man, like, <laughs> I don't really want to go down that far, do I? We really want to lose all that elevation, right? And so I think that if you, if you learn to kind of adapt an approach where you're thinking kind of in those, that, that, you know, mindset of understanding that if you put in some of those, those days when you're not necessarily feeling it or, or you at least get in and, and be sure to try and develop that consistency, that those are the things I think that have kind of some of those ancillary benefits over the course of time. And especially when you get out on a hunt where, you know, yeah, I can still go, I can still get, you know, I can still make that next ridge or yes, we can, you know, we'll, we'll be all right to lose that elevation. And, um, so, you know, I think that's the big thing that I typically start with, you know, trying to get people to understand is that, yeah, there, there is an aspect, especially from the conditioning standpoint where I look at it and say, you know, we can get you in relative shape and, and shape is a very kind of broad term, but as far as conditioning goes, um, you know, to be able to, to withstand it. But the reality of it is, is that consistency factor day to day, week to week and month to month is what really helps you um, from a lot more aspects than just the physicality portion of it or whatever that might be of like being able to, you know, 
sometimes do more than you when you want to and and that helps when you get out there and you you know you're motivated to do it well and, and i think oh sorry go ahead jason I, was say, I think we, you know, we live in a generation where uh, of instant gratification, right? Where yes, everything's sir. at our, and unfortunately our bodies don't, don't work that way. And so, you know, even if it's just something simple, it's like, Hey, I'm going to go walk the dog, you know, like just being able to get out and move like movement as medicine effectively. Uh, you know, one of the things that we kind of talked about while we were hunting this year, and, and there's actually a bike program that I ride quite frequently called eat the elephant. Right. What's the best way to eat the elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time, buddy. I know that, you know, I've got, let's say, 11 months until hunting season. I don't have to get in the best shape of my life now. Right. But I can do little things that can lead up to that. And eventually, as I get to maybe two, three months out, that's when I can start to hit it a little bit harder. And that's where, you know, you can make the gains or you can get the strength that you're looking for, but you got to have a base. You can't just start from zero and trying to go to a hundred because that's where those injuries are going to happen. Yeah. But if you can, yeah, so you can just do little things like walk the dog or, you know, park further away from the front entrance of wherever you're going to be at. You know, like you, we are creatures of comfort, right? We we're we're effectively lazy and we try and do things that are as easy as possible, but sometimes, you know, giving yourself another hundred yards to walk, could be a, a good way for somebody to just start taking that bite and start working towards a more active or a more consistent, you know, lifestyle. Because we run into this with our with our baseball clients as well. It's like, well, you know, they only want to do stuff the month before the season starts. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is don't work that way. About, yeah, we're talking about a lifestyle here. We're not talking about a, a convenience. Yeah. So so both of you guys said it, right? And and I agree, consistency is is a huge aspect of it. Right. But you, but before that is the discipline, right? Because you can, you can do a lot of things, but if you don't have the discipline to even just do that, those first steps, right. Park a little further away and get rid of some of that comfort. Uh, I don't care how much consistency is there. Um, all the intent in the world, if you don't have the discipline to actually follow through with it, then you kind of, you're falling flat on your, uh, on your face there. Um, so Jason, you were talking about, and I really, and it just popped in, but you were talking about, you know, doing that stuff, um, you know, three or four months, not starting from, you know, zero thinking you're going to go a hundred. How would you guys factor in looking at it, you know, now or in December and coming up with a realistic schedule or plan, um, to start that or start down that path for people that aren't ready to hit it. Right. Cause like I said earlier, man, you go, you get your butt kicked, man. I was this close. I'm fired up. I'm getting ready for next season now. And then come February, you know, you're, you're <laughs> off of that. Uh, you're off of that discipline and consistency. So how would you guys approach that in terms of scheduling and planning and laying something out? Yeah. I think like, like I do with like my sports athletes, I say, where do you want to be by the time, the, the season starts, right? And we obviously talk in terms of, of our sports seasons, but my hunting season, if you said, man, you know, my knees killed me or my back was hurt, or maybe you, like you said earlier, like maybe you've gained a few extra pounds um, over the course of the year. If you said, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds by the time the season starts, right? Like let's work at the end and work our way backwards, 
right? And figure out what those checkpoints are. Maybe it's every month. You just do a check-in with yourself. Like, hey, what did I do? You know, my my wife right now is is big. She, she has an Apple watch and there's the, you know, the, the fitness rings on there. So she tries to close the rings every day. And that's meeting a standing goal. That's meeting a movement goal and meeting a, a caloric goal. And so I think those types of things can help motivate people and keep them on, on track. But again, if you set that goal, if you said by September 1 of 23, right, I want to be 10 pounds lighter and I want to make sure that my back's in great shape. All right, let's work backwards from there and figure out what are the steps necessary for us to reach that point, right? That might be, you know, if it's a back issue, it's all right, let's figure out what it is. I've got a bad disc. I've got a, um, you know, I've got scoliosis or whatever number of things you might have. Let's, let's work around those types of things and, and get the type of treatment that I need to make sure that I'm healthy. And then let's get those areas stronger so that we don't have that recurring incidence come up as we get closer to season and, and you start getting that, that adrenaline flowing about it. I, th- I think the other thing that I like to think about too is, you know, there's, there's a level of mindfulness that has to kind of come with some of that stuff. And that is, you know, looking at kind of as he mentioned, where you analyze, all right, what, what are the factors that hinder me from, you know, hitting some of those goals or achieving or reaching some of those markers, right. That, that are holding you back potentially. Right. Is it, you know, uh, you know what, I like to go to happy hour with my buddies uh, a couple too many nights, or, you know, I've got the kids practices and, and it's easy when you get into day to day to be able to say, Uh, you know, I just ran out of time, uh, you know, and those types of things. And, you know, believe it or not, like people always say that to us, they're like, oh, well, you you know, you're, you're in a a training environment every day. Like it's gotta be easy to work out. And I'm like, not necessarily because guess what? I've got all sorts of things we have to do from a business perspective. We've got meetings, we've got zoom calls. I've got stuff I got to take care of outside of here too. And And we're working with clients too. So it's not like I have time to devote to myself. Right. So You know, so I think those are things where, um, you know, being honest with yourself up front is like identifying the things that maybe are either the go- I think you go from non-negotiables right into areas where you can say, well, if I either dedicate this or I eliminate this or I cut back on this, right. Or I add something, right. I mean, it's not always taking things away. I think a lot of times that's uh, the way a lot of people look at it. And ultimately, um, I think a big part of it is just scheduling, right? Like you, you almost have to say like this time is going to be dedicated for me to achieve, you know, getting my workout in or or, or spending whatever time it is to, you know, focus on the things that I want to accomplish. And then those become essentially non-negotiables because otherwise you can always find ways to say like, ah, yeah, just didn't, just didn't do it today or whatever. We'll talk ourselves out of it. Like faster than, you know what I mean? Faster than just getting it done or just the thought of getting it done. We're already talked out of it. It's crazy. Yeah. I think it's important. Like Joel said, I think you time is really important, right? We always devote a lot of our time and our effort to, you know, our jobs and our families and, and, all these other things that we need to do. Right. But very rarely do we ever give ourselves time to ourselves. I I disagree. I just, I'll disagree with you. And I think the problem, the problem with that statement is if, if, so I used to do this all the time when, when I was, you know, young in my career and I had an hourly schedule, right. And I'm an early riser. So call it 4am. My schedule started. And until I went to bed, call it 10pm. And every hour I write down, 
whatever that task was, whatever I had planned through the day, personal, work, personal, right? And then I would write my start time and my complete time and then how much time that activity took me, right? And it was amazing to me to see how much time throughout the day, call it a 14, 15 hour day that I wasted every single day. So the reason I'm saying I disagree with you is we may not consider it me time, but 25 minutes taking a deuce and I'm on the phone. That's me time, bro. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like being real, right? I mean, if you want to succeed in anything, you're going to have to itemize it and really, really pound it out. Right. So an hourly schedule, this, how, and then you just go back and you analyze that and you realize, damn, I had two and a half extra hours a day to go do this and this, right? So an hour and a half for my workout. You get distracted by a phone or a juice. Yeah, go to the gym. Like I said, when 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 I'm saying you time or me time, right? that That is an hour of what can I do? And that could just be something as simple as sitting in a dark room with the lights off and just listening to your breath, right? Just you time where you can just relax and reflect on what that what that means to you right and that might be for some people that's putting headphones on and going to the gym and just grinding through a workout and getting rid of the stresses of the day that's not getting caught in a distraction we i do it here all the time where i'm like man the day got away from me and then i look at like oh i was on my phone for five hours yeah. today <laughs> your screen time was up 44 percent this week jason yeah the <laughs> I let it get away because I got distracted. I was on videos or I was on Instagram reels or whatever it might be. Right. That's not me time. That's distraction time. Right. right? I'm devoting devoting my attention to something that is not me. Right. I'm talking that hour or whatever it might be is a time for you to reflect on yourself, to dedicate to yourself. Mm -hmm. And and that just, just people, you know, people are going to say it, but that could include, a walk around the block with a wife and kids, right? And then that is setting you on that path. Actually, it's beneficial for the entire family, right? You're setting an example Mm -hmm. for the kids on the, on the physical activity, you're getting outside and it could be a walk around the neighborhood, you know? Um, And that could be utilized to, to get that stuff moving. That's a pointer pack on when you do it. And then start throwing your pack on when you do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that brings up, okay. So you, you, I won't go there. I have it written down though. Um, so let's, let's a, a quick contrast to the weight loss goal versus the fitness for season, right? Because yes, one and the same, but different aspects in terms of, of, of fitness, right? Um, and, and folks are, you know, like this on the weight loss thing. And I think the guys that are in it or gals as well that are looking at a weight loss situation versus just a physical fitness thing. If somebody's already in, you know, um, fairly good shape, they I'm generalizing. It's a bigger task mentally going back to the dopamine cycle thing uh, and that delayed gratification than if you're just get trying to get some strength stamina whatever it is for season um do you guys separate the two is it one and the same how does that look i think they go hand in hand you know um one of the things that that i typically tell people and jason says this too is like a lot of that especially when you talk about weight management and things like that typically starts in the kitchen right like if you if you eat horrible and you know your habits as far as that stuff are, are terrible 
you know, there's, there's plenty of people. I say fat people finish marathons all the time, right? Like, guess what? Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're super fit. They accomplish the task, but they're still overweight, you know? And so, um, and that's great. And that's admirable. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like bashing on, on people that, that go out and do those types of things. I'm not one of them. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I look at that and say, well, in order for us to, you know, think about both sides of that coin, it's actually digging into, you know, the, the, uh, the former of that, which is figuring out like, what, what do those habits look like? You know, what's your, your typical cycle as far as like how you eat, how much do you plan for some of those things? And then, you know, it slowly starts to match itself up or marry itself with the training side. Right. Cause it's like, I, I could take a look at someone's, you know, nutrition or whatever and, and say, well, if we do this, 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 and this completely, you know, aside from anything else, we can probably get you to lose weight, you know, even outside of physical activity just based on how you how you're eating or what you're eating right and there's, there's a lot of things that go into that you know frequency of eating and things like that I mean I I had a, a crazy story of like a professional jockey I once worked with and he had to lose uh, he was coming out of retirement he gained a bunch of weight and um, he, he decided that uh, a friend of his talked him into coming back and actually racing well he had to lose a ton of weight in a short amount of time and the first thing that I did was look at what he was eating and I said, well, we have to start eating six times a day. And he was like, I got to lose weight, man. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, no, no. We need to get your metabolism cranked up instead of what you tip, what you're doing now, which is eating three times a day and kind of going into starvation mode in between each one of those meals and actually get your metabolism ramped up so that your caloric expenditure starts to improve as well as like improve your hydration status. If we did, I just got people to be able to drink a gallon of water a day as an example you know, you can see improvements eight to 10% metabolism just by being hydrated better, you know? So there's a lot of small things when you look at that stuff and say, well, if we start there, some of the other things are a lot better. And then at the same time, I always have that other argument where you, know, you have people like, oh yeah, you know, it'd be great if I lost weight, you know, they kind of hem and haw about it. And I say, well, how much weight do you want to lose? And like, ah, you know, if I lost 10 or 15 pounds or whatever, you know, I'd probably be better off. And I say, well, here you go. And I'll hand them a 10 pound dumbbell and I'll say, carry that for the next 24 hours. Don't put it down, you know, in your hand for 24 hours. And they like, look at you like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, that's what you're telling me you want to lose. And that's how much you're carrying around with you on a daily basis. See how much of a burden that is to you after you hold on to it for, for 24 hours, because that's what you're, all your, you know, joints, your joints and all that other, you know, the stressors that you're putting on your body are essentially enduring on a daily basis that you're toting around with you, you know? So, you know, I think when you create contextual ability for people to connect to it and go like, oh, like aha moments, you know, a lot of times those things may help you kind of cross over some of those barriers to get them to understand how, you know, the cumulative effect of some of this stuff realistically becomes how you get to that maybe longer term or, or further out goal. Damn, I have so much in my head as you guys are talking. It's just like. Boo, 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 boo. That's good. That's all right. Yeah. Um, man, eight to 10% on metabolism, just being hydrated. I mean, what is, what, what are the stats on that? Something like 96% of men are walking around dehydrated um, at any given moment. I think it's, I mean, it's, that's phenomenal, yeah. right? Like that. I try and drink two of these a day, which is what is this, 60, 48 ounces. 
He's holding so, up a 48-ounce beer right now, folks. <laughs> He's drinking two of those a day. No, it's <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I try and drink two of those a day, and some days, some days I get through it really fast, like days that I work out, because I can hammer through one of those in an hour mm-hmm. when I work out, you know, being like a like a little schoolgirl, you know, for the rest of the day. But there are other days when I'm not, when I'm more sedentary, it becomes difficult. It becomes really, really hard to even just get through one, you know, and, and, and if you're not conscious or aware of that, you know, that you could, you could go through a whole day with maybe just drink a cup of water and just not realize that you're massively dehydrated. You, you know, what's funny about it, right. Is, is broad stroke. A lot of us know that we should be drinking X amount of water, right? Call it a gallon a day. That's, I think that's where it lies. Um, there's a lot of people that say a lot less than that, but, most folks don't do it, but they'll pound two or three monsters, a couple, three beers, Red Bull, right? It's, yeah, it's easy to go drink that, right? You know, but it's so hard to do something that, that's beneficial. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of an oddball thing. Like I look at my wife and I'm like, man, you know, she, I mean, my wife, if she doesn't drink a gallon and a half of water every single day, it's two gallons. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be, she carries that big old thing around and, and I'll watch her fill it up three, four times in the evening. And, uh, and I'm, and I'll do a gallon. I don't know how that woman drinks that much water, man. It's impressive. Oh, but I mean, just super conscious of it. People don't like it just cause it's, there's no taste to it. Right. So it's like, well, it's, there's no enjoyment in drinking water. Well, go, you know, put a lemon slice or something in there. Grab one of those little meal squeeze things and, and put a few drops in there. Just make it something that's enjoyable. And like trick your brain into going, oh, that that tastes good. Therefore, I want to drink or consume more of it. Right. And at the end of the day, it's still just water. Well, understanding that there is benefit in it, right? To to realize that, and I don't think people carry it long enough to realize the benefit. Right. If you're not going to do anything else, if you're if you're not going to do anything else but cut out the sugary sports drinks. Um, I'm a catch heck on a hunting podcast talking about cutting out the beer consumption, but knock your beer consumption down to, you know, half of what it is. I don't know if you're drinking a six pack, drink three. If you're drinking two, drink one and then increase the water intake and give it three weeks, a month, a month and a half. And you'll see those benefits immensely. Just substitute a water for a beer. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to sit there and constantly consume your your bush lattes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. You can, you can have a bush latte and then have a glass of water with it. I'll, right. I'll monitor the, his con- compliance with that. For yeah, you. I'm a, I'm, I can't do, I can't do too many beers. You know, that's me. true. This is very true. You know, I, and it goes back, you know, again, I think it has a lot to do with wanting to see results right now. Yep. And getting away, right. Getting away from it. I mean, just, you know, we're talking about the phone. Everything is like satisfaction right now. Double tap this. I got a hearty face here, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and get away from that stuff and understanding there's some work that's going to come in with it. Um, yeah, uh, we can, we can go down a rabbit hole with that one. Um, so I want you guys to go through how you would put, together a program we'll use me for an example or something how you would put together a program how that looks is that done in the facility is it done online blah 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 blah. um yeah why don't we do that and then i'll go into this other one i got okay um well 
to, to answer your question is it, it could be both, right? I mean, obviously we, we have a, a 12,000 square foot facility that has, you know, anything and everything that someone could possibly want as far as training. Um, we have a metabolic lab that we can do everything from, you know, tracking what your core body temperature as it is that specific heart rates all the way down into, you know, for us, we have things that we utilize where we can track people's power outputs when they're doing certain things. And, um, you know, we can get really in the weeds with some stuff down to just, you know, your, your standard training and, and doing, uh, what would be, you know, a day-to-day thing on a one-on-one basis, whether it's with me or, you know, one of our other coaches, or even just, you know, giving you a program and coming in and, and you're actually doing it in house here or at any gym. But, um, and then we also have the ability where, we have an online platform as well, where, you know, I could say, Hey guy, I'm going to put you on this program. We're going to, um, you know, address your, your back and, and we're going to start working on, uh, you know, improving, you know, things like hip mobility and stuff like that, which is big, especially in Colorado. When you think about how much downfall and stuff like that there is, and that is in an app form where that app actually just goes directly to your phone, even though we've been bad mouthing them. Right. And on the phone itself, um, it, it's the only time you're allowed to use. Right. It. Yeah. And, and there's it, some benefit to Yeah. It, it will give you, um, everything that you're supposed to do. Um, there's updates and messaging and all sorts of things that allows you to track everything within that as well. There is, uh, exercises that, uh, they all have videos that are attached to them. So if you're like, Hey, I don't know what that is or whatever. Um, I can click on that and it'll give me an example of what that should look like. And there'll be notes in there that say, Hey, you know, focus on this or, you know, execute this exercise in this manner. And so, um, you know, from that regard, it's almost having, you know, a virtual trainer that's with you, um, where you can actually message me directly back and forth and say, Hey, uh, you know, I've got this going on, or do you have a substitute for this? Or, Hey, I did these exercises and then I'll be able to actually look at it and see like, how long did that workout take you? What was your perceived level of exertion? You know, that today was a six out of 10 today was a 10 out of 10 that killed me today. Um, and, and that way it's like having me there without necessarily being there. And so we have, we have, you know, a kind of a full spectrum of capacity where, you know, I had a guy from, Florida who drew New Mexico tag this year, you know, and, and uh, in fact, I had two and I put them, you know, on that program and probably almost on a daily basis, I was going back and forth with them. Hey man, how's it going? You know, he's, he's messaging me back and forth, kind of updating me on things, how you feeling. And that way I kind of get an idea of like, how can I continue to help as much as possible, even if you can't necessarily be here, so to speak, you know? And so, you know, take yourself, like I would probably look at, you know, program with, with you and say, all right, well, let's ensure that you go into this year without, you know, having any issues with your back. Right. Because obviously the goal is you're going to want to pack out and you want to be able to do it. Uh, you know, I don't think any pack out's easy, but you want to come out of it feeling like, you know, you're not crushed and, and, you know, the back's not just ailing you so bad that you can't do anything. Should you have another tag to fill with a buddy the next day? You know, so I would look at that and say, let's look at what maybe the mechanisms of some of that stuff look like, um, whether it's posturally, whether it's mobility, whether it's potentially saying like, hey, um, maybe looking at losing some weight might help because the amount of stress that's being, you know, kind of garnered into that low back could be a, a direct correlation to that. And so I look at those things and say, that's where I'm going to start. And then we start to build out from there. Can we find ways to 
integrate, you know, better trunk stability? Can we find better ways to create better hip mobility? Because all of those things are going to help you operate better on a daily basis when you get into the backcountry. And then from there, it's, you know, you're still going to do traditional stuff, right? We're going to push and pull and drag and, you know, lift and rotate and some of those types of things. Um, and as the program goes, it's just going to continue to progress, right? It's going to progress in volume. It's going to progress in intensity. It's going to progress in durations and, and some of those things where as you start to adapt to the things that, that we put in place, we're going to always kind of keep, you know, I say kind of like put the carrot a little bit further out, right? We want to continue to define ways to challenge you without breaking you. I think that's a big thing too, you know, is, is making sure that it's garnered and catered towards helping you, the individual, and not just handing you, as you mentioned, like that cookie cutter where I go, oh, this worked for so-and-so, it should work for you too, good luck. <laughs> and that's a hard thing, right? And, and you talked about the back, right? So I know how I injured my back and where that injury was and not focusing, well, focusing on that specific area, right? It was my hip complex that was triggering it. Right. So I wasn't doing anything. I was pretty sedentary because I was so worried about it. And I still feel it a little bit, but I noticed the pack out challenge is really what opened my eyes to it. Right. As I warmed up and my hip complex and my, and everything got working and I got loose. I mean, you're talking bottom third of my right scapula is where I feel it the most. I mean, and, and to think that, my hip complex and I, and I confirmed this after that because I just started stretching the piss out of it. Right. I mean, just adductor, abductor, so ass, I just went after it. Right. And it was virtually non-existent after that. And you got, you got to think I was, that was March. April, I started going to the chiropractor almost every single week until season. Right. And, right. and really no improvement. Like I'd be good for two days and, and he's yeah. working on my neck. He's working on my back. And then, you know, I started when I saw that, I was like, man, let me try this, you know? And I just started doing, you know, stretches that focused on that lower half. And it was just like, Oh, yeah. that was the problem. And I don't think most folks are in tune with it enough to understand that, you know, that, I mean that when that gets tight and I'm, you know, I'm, I got a lot of muscle mass. Right. So my glutes and my hamstrings and my quads, that that entire complex there gets tight. Everything is just going just pulling like crazy. Um, yeah. Well, I, think, I think it's important too to like what you're talking about, that understanding of your body's interconnectivity. Right. You have a problem with your back because you stretched your hips. You didn't stretch your back. You didn't strengthen your back. You stretched your hips. Yep. Right. And I think that's something too where you know, as you're going through a process and, and, you know, let's say Joel gives a, an exercise to you and you're like, well, why the hell am I stretching my hamstrings or why am I stretching my, my hips when I've got a back issue? I got a shoulder issue. I'm like, well, you know, when we talk about the kinetic chain and how energy moves through your body, right, it's got to start somewhere. It doesn't just originate at that point. And so loosening those pieces or getting those pieces to move better solves a lot of problems up the chain. I think that's really important to understand. It's not just, you know, it's not just that singular issue. There, there are pieces below that that also need to be in place. And if they're not, you're going to continue to have problems. Yeah, we're, we're really good. I always talk about like, 
Western medicine is really good about tre- treating the problem right. and not necessarily figuring out where the it's problem actually, is. You know, and, and we see a lot of that stuff. And like you hit it on the head, right? Like most of the time, when we look at people that have back issues, assuming that there's not pathology or, or something else, you know, I think like 98% of people have back problems at some point in their life, you know, and the position that we're sitting in right now, which is just being seated, um, really is never very conducive to a healthy back and, you know, our posture, whether it's slouched or rounded, right. And as soon as we stand up and all those structures need to lengthen back out, typically you have these, what we call like length tension relationships where everything on the front side is short and tight and everything on the back is long and loose. And so as soon as we stand up and expect everything on the front to lengthen back out, it's just, it's just like a vice, like it's just pulling everything in the wrong direction. And so, you know, you're hundred percent right. Usually as soon as I find somebody that has those issues, I'm going to attack their hip rotators. I'm going to attack their hip flexors. I'm going to attack quad flexibility and some of those types of things, because as soon as I can lengthen out everything on the front here, it's going to take stress off of everything in the back. And, you know, it's really difficult knowing that, you know, so many of us sit in these positions way too long, either by work, you know, uh, by by, force, (laughs) by, by, uh, preference of, you know, just sitting on our butts too much too often. Right. And, you know, when we have to go out and then actually do things physically, um, if we're not accustomed to being tall and long and in good posture, uh, guess what? Something's going to take the brunt of that. And, And a lot of times, unfortunately for us, it's always the back it's being, you know, weak here, it's being, you know, poor in posture, it's being too short in the hip flexors, and then we have back pain. And then, like you said, you know, then I go to the chiropractor and I do this and I do that. And guess what? Like, it doesn't fix anything until we actually look at where it's originating from. So, okay, with all that being said, right, and 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 some people have, you know, have the ability to, and, and maybe they don't. Um, but if you're, if you're, you know, sitting at a desk or sitting in a truck all day long, delivery driver, what have you, what, what are things that, that folks can do to kind of combat that to a point, right? I mean, you, it, it's hard to take an eight hour gig where you're sitting on your butt and combat that, you know, it, it's almost like that balance needs to be 50, 50. You can't do it. What are something that we could do? What are the intervals throughout the day that somebody could do to just kind of help that out? Do high steps on the airplane on the way over there. Yeah, you can do high knees on the airplane like <laughs> Russell Wilson does. Um, no, I, I, to me, I think the first thing that I say is like um, find opportunities where, you know, you can stand up and move around. You know, I think like I, I usually say every hour you need to try and do something, right? Get up, take a lap, whatever that might be. Um, even if you have, you know, I know now a lot of like the ergonomics people have standing desks and stuff like that, but again, it goes back to being mindful, right? Which is recognizing that the more we can get ourselves out of these kind of coiled up postures of being, you know, seated, bent knee, bent hip and all that stuff, and try to spend more time being upright, spend more time a little bit being on our feet, move around a little bit more periodically. It's kind of the same, same story of, you know, the accumulation of that over time is going to start to limit or start to at least render in our favor of, of, coming up with some of those things that realistically become a, a virtue of our habits. 
Maybe you could take shorter deuces and uh, and take a take a lap. <laughs> you were texting me, dude, so I had to stay on the phone with you. <laughs> I figured the best time to talk to Jason is while I'm taking a deuce. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we're all good. Right? <laughs> just so everybody knows, we're just bullshitting about that. Me and Jason have never had. We have never had conversations on the potty. <laughs> So one of the things you guys have is your is your data driven hunt prep on uh, hunthighharvest.com. Uh, um, you guys want to walk us through that? I mean, these are you know pretty good little write ups, um, load speed index things. I mean, you guys and when we talked at uh, at Western Hunt Fest, right? It was like, oh man, these guys know some shit. Um, you guys want to <laughs> walk through that? You know, um, the load speed index, your oxygen levels, and and how that all correlates to getting uh, this prep on. That's your, that's your realm, brother. <laughs> Jason's going to take a shit right now. <laughs> Jason said he's going to the shitter. Jason pretties all this stuff up. So um, I, I try and make uh, data digestible. Right. Yeah. So, he's the one that's going through research papers and, and telling yes. me like, oh, this, you got to do this. And I'm like, well, shoot, how do I make that so that guy can understand it? Right. Yeah. You got to send it to um, me when I'm taking a deuce. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, Realistically, I, I do a lot of work in first responder community within the military, fire, police, that type of stuff. Um, a lot of the, the data and a lot of the research that I'm, I'm really creating parallels with comes from um, research that, that I pull in from the military. And within that, we see uh, rucking protocols. Rucking is just, a, you know, another word for load carriage, you know, having a pack on, right? And uh, within the training world, it's then taking those things and looking at them from a perspective of understanding, you know, individual by individual, right? So like when you were at Western Hunt Fest, you know, there was one guy who did the solo challenge who probably was like five, six and 150, 60 pounds, mm -hmm. right? And, and you know, I watched him and I, as you know, you saw, I was running the course all day long and, and getting out, checking on people and, and, and that type of thing. And every person's going to have a different level of output, right? So when you talk about like load speed, um, that type of thing, it is looking at each individual and determining based on what either their current like conditioning level is, right. Or their, their physiological capability is <clears throat> determining what level of operation can they continue to maintain based on the load that they're carrying and the speed with which they're working at. Right. And then you can also create um, another variable in there, which is what is going to be the change in that elevation as well as what is potentially the altitude with which they're performing it at, right? So as we go up in altitude, the saturation of oxygen obviously starts to deplete, right? It's going to become harder. And we know that. And there's a lot of things that play into that. Like even guys that come up to altitude um, struggle a lot of times just in, in output because of the altitude alone, right? Like there's going to be an undeniable factor that they can't necessarily train for, is going to affect their ability to exchange oxygen, right? And at the same time, it affects things like their sleep ability, right? Your sleep is going to be disrupted by elevation. Your appetite is going to be disrupted by elevation. There's a lot of things. Our hydration based on the exchange of oxygen is going to actually be depleted. So we're going to actually expel 
more CO2 and, and more um, water based on just how much our respiration is going to change at altitude. So when we look at those charts without like diving, like two years are both staring at me like, Oh my gosh, what the hell? Oh, no, I'm <laughs> digging it. I'm writing down as you're going. I got so much. You know, I think so, guys writing charts. Right yeah. So, so when I look at those, it's determining based on each individual, how can we narrow some of these things down so that we can figure out where can you operate without going into this mode of like being, you know, the rabbit, right. Which is just like bury myself. And then I got to rest until I can start going again and bury myself. And then I got to rest until I can go again based on some of that information. And so some of the things that we do to try and determine that, like if I in house, for example, is we put people through what's called like a functional threshold for power test. And what that test does is it's going to actually give us an idea of what your physical output, lower body output is going to look like. How does that match up with your specific heart rate? And at what point are you going to get to a level where you start getting anaerobic and anaerobic meaning that you're operating at an intensity above your ability to continue, right? Like you're going to have an endpoint to that where you're going to become the rabbit. You're going to have to take a rest. You're going to have to recover in order to continue going any further. And our mission is, can we figure out with that person where can I get you to? And knowing where that threshold is at, you can actually continue to maintain that for an extended period of time without tanking, right? Yeah. And so when I think about it from like the pack out perspective, and you saw, you know, you saw firsthand, you experienced it. Um, anybody that's that's packed out anything probably has experienced it before too, where um, if we find a specific pace that I can continue at, I'm probably going to get there more effectively. Right. And at the same time, I'm also not exhausting myself to a level where when we have too high of an intensity, the more that I bump the top of that over and over again, the more my cumulative fatigue is really going to be affected over time. And, and so, I'm, yeah, let me jump in. Right. Because that, that is huge. What you just said, right. Because, you know, you, you, you lay that animal down, right? Say you've decided that you play the fool's game and you went and you chased this thing four and a half miles in your solo. You lay this animal down, adrenaline dump, dressing that animal. I'm going to haul ass and I'm going to get this thing. I'm going to just move, right? And you get that first quarter back to camp and you are spent. Man, that's huge value is understanding that threshold, right? That where you're topped out at, at that point, understanding that is invaluable in getting back down for that second, that third, and sometimes that fourth load, depending on what you had in that pack when you decide to check or uh, lay that animal down. Yeah, and you're trying to understand how much weight you can carry to maintain that pace, right? That's where that load speed index came in. That's what we were talking about with everybody at Western Hunt Fest, you know, for their strategy planning for that event, it was how much weight am I going to throw in this pack that's going to allow me to be the most efficient around this course, right? Most everybody did it in three trips, right? But they all use different strategies, right? One was I threw a, a rear and a front and then they tried to do it, right? And maybe by the time they got done with that first lap, they're just they're absolutely gassed. They overloaded themselves. And now they have to do a lighter one on the second run. So not only are they expending energy, but they're also bringing down their ability to take that third load, 
right? Versus if they had just paced themselves and said, I'm going to take a rear quarter and some neck beat, right? And then do that. In the second round, I'm going to take another quarter and more neck beat and do that. And in that third trip, finish it off, right? That's a more efficient path for them. So that's what we were talking about. And that's what Joel's kind of laid out, right? Is understanding what your body is capable of doing, right? Getting that baseline. And then through our training and through the testing, we can elevate that baseline so that now you're taking a bigger load, but not expending uh, as much energy. You can do that two, three, or even four times if necessary. So let me, let me explain so if, if folks don't realize what it is, but the pack out challenge at Western hunt fest was basically you either did it solo or you did it with a partner and you had uh, four sandbags, six sandbags plus you had two, two rears, two go. fronts. There was three 20 pound bags and a head four loot. So many, uh, 20 pound loose meat bags and a head. There you go. So those sandbags had to be taken on a, I don't remember what it was, mile and a half course or something like that. Out about a mile. Just, yeah, just, just, under, just a under a mile. Oh, shit seemed like a mile and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and, if you had 90 pounds on your back, that's what it does feel yeah. like. Yeah. And, and all in all, I mean, it wasn't a terribly difficult course, but it was a game changer when you saw people realizing like, the macho is there, right? That, that, you know, pound on your chest thing. And, and I'm watching dudes and I was struggling. I'm not going to BS, but I was watching dudes drop bags and have to come back around to grab that, you know, that quarter say, and pick it back up because you're yeah. just, you know, you're spent. So I just want to, so people, you know, maybe didn't know what that pack out was. And it was really cool. What I, one of the biggest things for me, right? And I love the camaraderie that I see in our demographic. And when you saw guys that were going in just to motivate folks or walking in 200 yards from the finish just to finish with a guy or, you know, motivating each other through, you know, that, yeah. that little gully stretch there, that was pretty nasty. I mean, dudes were crawling up that, um, yeah. literally crawling up that rock face, you know, just trying to make it through um, on their second trip with 65 pounds. It doesn't sound like that much, but when you're humping and there's a little bit of a, just a, a a little bit of competition involved, and you got all these buddies yeah. and onlookers, yeah. man, it was uh, well, you're doing it was a leveler too, right? So everyone's you know right out of the shoot, everyone's moving fast, yeah, yeah. instead of pacing themselves, right? Yeah. They were the, it's the course and the hair, yeah, right? They were they were they were the hair trying to trying to bust ass through that thing. They should have been the tortoise and just slow and steady. And they would have been just, just as good, if not better. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's, that's the one element of, you know, the competition that, you know, kind of changed the stakes just a little bit, right. Which was adding that nature to it. Like how fast can you actually do it? And so, you know, I think there's elements, we've had some, a lot of discussions since the Western Fest about, you know, looking at 2023 and what are some factors that we learned from that? And there was a lot of take-ons, right? I mean, seeing just the strategy that people took, right? You know, you had the the Pansy brothers from New Mexico who said, um, well, we're just going to take the entire rock in one load and we're just going to take a bucket of stuck it and we're just going to do it. And, you know, of course, ultimately, if you take less laps around that thing, which obviously is, is plenty of, of territory to cover, um, they just decided that they were going to have one, one lap of misery and be done with it, you know, and that's fine. You know, I watched them all, all, um, 
you know, fall along. And I think they've packed out like 42 elk at that. I mean, it's been ridiculous. Like they're they've, pretty good at that. they've, uh, they packed out a ton of elk this fall, you know, guiding and things like that. And so they're really accustomed to it, but they also knew that they were capable of that. Right. Um, and then you had the others that were like thinking about how much can I take and how can I get this done? And they're like planning, right? Like they're planning the trip a little bit and, and trying to divide that out in order to accomplish the, the task. And then, obviously trying to do it as quickly as possible. So it was really interesting to see how people approach that. And you obviously, um, you and Mondo, right? Like, uh, you guys partnered up and, and rocked it. And, and, uh, it's, it's a, if you've never, I think if you've never done a pack out, if you've never packed an elk out, right? Like I, I felt like it was a very good, um, litmus for people that maybe haven't experienced that. Yeah. I, I really like the element again of, you know, competition, that, that didn't necessarily exist, but there was some stuff on the line, right? And I think oh, yeah. folks were more willing to elevate their game. On the other side of that, let's talk about that versus a real pack out, right? Because if sure. you if you expend like that and you're packing an animal out, you know, early season, depending on where you're hunting, it might be 70, mid 70s, you know, 80s plus. So there's a level of, you have to think about it regardless of your physical preparation and your physical condition. You have to be real about where you're chasing an animal and how much meat you can potentially waste by going outside of those bounds, if you will. Yeah. I think, I think there's a level of responsibility, right? Which is, you know, I think everyone obviously has a huge desire to, to fill a tag every year. And at the same time, it's also understanding that guess what? Yeah. When you, when you take into account, like, what am I capable of doing here? And if I, if I track that, that elk or, or deer or whatever, to a point where I've actually went beyond what I'm physically capable of, then realistically, you're, you're kind of almost putting yourself and being really irresponsible and almost unfair to the animal, especially if you take it at a place where you're not capable of getting it out. Right. Um, if you waste any of that meat or whatever. So, you know, that's maybe a little bit of a different conversation to some extent, but at the same time, it's a very real scenario. Right. And, and, um, so I think that that's where both ends of this kind of meat, which is like making sure that guess what, if you're not physically prepared, that you're probably not going to fill more tags. And at the same time, guess what? You may not be able to get to that elk that is the next ridge over because you're like, man, well, I'm just, there's no way I'm going to be able to get out of there. Right. And I don't, I don't know that a lot of people realize that they're yeah. in an Oh shit situation until yeah. they're there is the problem. Right. So, you know, like my, yeah. my first, my first three day stint on the mountain this year, right. We're, we're hunting the South side of, of the flat tops. Um, and it's just, mainly because of crowds, right? Yes, we're hunting south sides or south facing slopes in September, right? Uh, da, 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 da. Anywho, we're in a ton of elk, right? Well, we we get into, you know, this this herd that literally I could have stuck my hand out in my tent and tripped cows. I mean, they walked right by us all night long. And we drop down in this this drainage to chase them and we're down, you know, 2 2 and a half miles or whatever it is and I'm like, dude, this is the limit. Like we're not going any further than this. If we want to go east or west, cool. I'm not going down any further because there's going to be somebody to pay <laughs> to get out of here, right? Cuz there ain't no going all the way down as a crow flies 
to, you know, air quotes, civilization from where we started is eight miles. So going down from where we're at two and a half miles, well, man, that's a long GD way to get the rest of the way down. If you think it's a downhill, a downhill deal. Right. And it was two of us. And it was just like, dude, this is it. Like, you want to go this way and we'll, you know, up over these little bit of ridges here, you know, two, 300 foot climbs at a time. Big deal. Um, And it sucked because we knew where the elk were at. I wasn't willing to do it. And you're talking, you know, just above 80 degrees. I'm like, even if we killed something, what are we wasting climbing back out of this hell? And it was brutal. I mean, it was brutal with... 15 20 pounds on the back just carrying provisions for a day you know so it's uh i i don't think most folks i shouldn't say it like that but f it i don't think most folks are honest about what it entails and how much time it's going to take um if we would have if we would have killed an animal we got back into those elk one of the bulls about midday he was with some cows they were still moving down we had just happened to catch him kind of circling um behind the main herd and uh, they started dropping down and I'm like, see ya. Like this, here's, I knew what my limit was and it was this, this basin. Yeah. And it was just like, no way, man. You know, and my buddy was, you know. And, with, your, with your abilities. Oh yeah. I, and real, but, but not just my abilities, but the time it would take for us to dress that animal, hang that animal uh, where we're hunting. I, there's some timber there, but it was mostly, a, you know, an aspens. What does that mean? Right. Phys- screw the physical, f- screw the, the mental abuse and the anguish and the crying and cussing about killing the bull down there. But what does that mean to the quarters that are sitting down there or the loose meat that's left down there? I mean, that's that's real ish when we're out there. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think the thing that that we've tried to do also, which has been just an evolution, I think, is, you know, utilization of, of maps. Right. Whether it's onyx or whatever, it's like we've we've found that, you know, tying into what we're talking about, that if you do your homework on, you know, where you're going into, right? Like studying it and figuring out like, where do things saddle out? Where can, how can we cover ground without always going up and down? How can we contour better? How can we get from saddle to saddle and things like that, where it allows us to expend less energy and be able to potentially cover more ground, right? I think that um, we did a, a kind of a little bit of not necessarily research, but it was more of just an education on our own where we went into the same unit um, like four years ago. And then the following year after that, and we always track everything. We track like how much elevation gain and loss, how many miles we cover, you know, all that type of stuff. And, and we track it and we actually, we've been charting it. And um, we went from utilizing our maps the, the following year where we'd done like 60 miles the previous year and the next year we kind of looked at some areas that we went to the same place i kind of mentioned before we got on the call here and um in order to get down into where this kind of saddling area and travel area that we typically have had pretty decent success um, we found out that there was another route that would save us almost 20 to 25 minutes round trip every day if we just used a better contour and a better line to get there. And we went through the course of an entire week. And by the time we got to the end of the week, we had hiked almost like 15 miles less doing almost the same hunt that we had done the previous year. And like, you look at that and go, Holy crap. Like that's, that's a lot of, uh, of miles as well. A lot, as of, energy a lot of energy. Right. Yeah. Which is, I mean, and 
I don't know. There's a thing about I went X amount of miles deep, um, you know, oh, yeah. I, and I get it. Right. And there's guys that do it. There's guys that are GD good at it. Right. And and more power to them. I would say for the vast majority of us, it's just a bunch of ish talking. Right. To go. I hear a dude say I'm going eight to 11, 12 miles. I'm like on horseback, bro. <laughs> you know what oh, yeah. I mean? Cause uh, yeah. Well, and, and I think that there, there's a part of that too. Like Jason, and I joke about that. I'm like, bro, nobody's giving you trophies. Like, sorry, man. Like, you know, and if you can, and if you're willing and, and at the same time, if you're able, that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Right. But like I always say, you know, my, my mission is to try and get it done in, in as least amount of miles as I possibly can, which is, you know, I don't think anybody would argue with that, but it's also knowing at the same time, kind of what we've been talking about is being honest with yourself. If you do 12 miles in a day and the next day you can only do four because you're smoked, right. well, then it doesn't do a lot of good. Right. right? And so I think there, there's components of that too. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if for us, a lot of times, you know, six, five, six, eight or so miles in a day, you know, is probably our average depending upon the day. Um, and at that rate for us, like we know we can continue outputting that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, could I do 10? Yeah. We did a scouting trip the, uh, the year before and we did, God, a, we did a 12 mile hike that we went like up plus 2000 feet mm-hmm. back down 2000 feet in one day, you know? And the only person that loved that was my dog. You know, it was a freaking just Brutal. all three were hanging out, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, that's fine, but I know that I probably couldn't do that six or seven days in a row based no. on what we went through that day. And that's a, that's a really good, uh, a really good point too, right? Is, is understanding that four, one day, 12, the next, and then you're smoked that 12 miles. And like you said earlier, right. As, as you increase in elevation, everything is demanding more, your sleep, your caloric intake, um, you know, your, your CO2 output, which means more hydration. So as we are not considering that, that 12 mile day, that might have cost you more than, well, definitely cost you more than you're going to replenish for the next yep. day's event. Right. So that may be something that sustains over two days because of the one 12 mile day, instead of a better plan or a better understanding of where you were at. And I get it because I'll set in on an animal and that animal's the focus, but I've been there enough to understand that I'm playing a fool's game. <laughs> and then, like you said, look for that better way in. Can I ditch this downhill and come around and contour in and maybe approached at a little, you know, maybe a little lighter. Yeah. Maybe it takes a little bit longer to get there. Maybe it's an earlier leave from camp or a later return to camp, but you know, yeah. I, that, that's a huge point. Saving on energy. So that it, it's almost a wash at that point. Yeah. And, and, and you said it too, with that, right. Is, is that you, you don't want to eat more uh, or, you know, as much rather. And I mean, it is a chore to put down a bunch of calories. I mean, my calories are pretty broken up through the day. Um, but man, when, you know, when you get back, you're spent, you get back to camp or you're ready to, you know, bivy out. There's only so much you can eat. Huh? There's only so much mountain house you can eat. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say nothing bad about that brand, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, shoot boys. Why don't, uh, let, let's let folks know where they can get a hold of you. Um, you know, all the outlets, the, you know, you guys got the blog and, and the latest news on there and there's some articles up, but you know, drop everything and let's get folks, uh, get folks talking to you guys and seeing how they can improve starting now and going into next season. Sure. 
Yeah, so uh, our website is hunthikeharvest.com. It's all one word. Um, there's actually a free workout program on there. You just uh, shoot us your email address and Joel will uh, will drop a workout plan in there. It's a little bit more cookie cutter, but it's uh, kind of a, a teaser program. So if you want to just get started with something, um, it's on there. It's just uh, scroll down on the main page. Uh, our Instagram page is probably where we do most of the social media damage, or I should say Joel does most of the social media damage. Um, that's at Hot Hike Harvest on Instagram. Uh, you might be able to type in H3O Outdoors. Yeah, uh, H3O Outdoors. H3O Outdoors, that might work as well. But Hunt Hike Harvest will find you what we're looking for. And uh, that's pretty much where you can find us. Um, you can shoot us an email. It's hunthikeharvest at gmail.com if you have any questions on anything that we do. And uh, we're happy to to answer any of those or uh, point you in the right direction for what you're looking for. And you guys, so are, we'll also, you guys are on YouTube too, correct? Yeah, we got a YouTube channel. Um, actually, they just started doing those YouTube handles. We got to create one of those. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, just search Hunt High Harvest on on YouTube. You'll find us there. Uh, we put together hunt videos from every adventure that we have. Uh, we don't just do elk. We have uh, there was a deer mule deer hunt we did last year called Ghost Bucks, which was uh, which is a really great video and kind of a, a full circle thing for people who are not always successful. And um, there's a there's a cool story in there. Uh, we do a lot of waterfowl work as well. So uh, we love duck hunting and goose hunting here in Colorado. A bunch of free training stuff in there. We review a bunch of products as well. Um, there's a, on top of that, we, we've shown some of the things like if you, the test we talked about, the, FP, the, uh, FTP. Functional, the FTP yeah. test, like there's a video on there about that. Um, there's some training tips and videos we've done on like side hilling and, and prepping your feet and ankles and, and a whole bunch of things. So there's a lot of good things. There's we have, I think there's over a hundred videos on our YouTube page now. Mm -hmm. So um, all that stuff is, is free. And, um, and we'll be back at Western hunt fest next year. We're really excited about that too. So definitely uh, look forward. There's a lot of cool information. We're just getting ready to drop with uh, Jeff and Efren. We're excited. I know you've been a part of that conversation as well. So yes, we're excited for the future. Good deal, boys. Well, I, I absolutely appreciate the time. Um, we got to get my butt, uh, on this three H program and, uh, get rolling. I'm ready. I mean, you know, you come off a season and, and it's easy to just kind of fall off, but it's like, you are, you've already started probably the hardest build you're going to have all year, right. Coming off a season, going through season. It's like, man, I'm capitalizing on this SOB. Yeah, I mean, shoot, I came back this year. I think I, I had lost close to 15 pounds, uh, on our trip this year. And I was like, dude, I feel light and skinny. Let's keep going with yeah. this. That's the best motivation <laughs> there is. Yeah. So Heck yeah. No, we appreciate it. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to linking back up with you here soon. So excellent, gents. Thank you for the time. Yeah, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. 